Welcome back to Sober Grind. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you better understand addiction and recovery. My name is Austin, and I'm your co-host along with Pej. Today, we're talking about working in the field of recovery and keeping that separate from your own recovery. Why is this important, and what does that even mean? Let's talk about this. Give everyone uh, an update about the UCI event that you okay, spoke so at last Tarek, night. Grace and I, and uh, Tarek actually is from Beginnings Treatment Center, as well as Taryn Falberg, who's a therapist at Beginnings, and then some people that were from Treehouse, and a professor that teaches at UCI. We all sat on a panel for the Flip the Script event. Um, it's basically to raise awareness in the university atmosphere towards you know, educating students on what kind of um what what activities go on i mean not that some of them don't know but some of them don't know about you know drug use in campuses such as university of california irvine what do kids use there's a lot of uh, a lot of youngsters that are going to university and they have you know there's a lot of adderall use there's a lot of uh prescription pill use they had done some um self-answered tests where they asked what percentage of the students on campus actually um, abuse, for better sake of words, abuse their prescription Mm -hmm. medications. And there was a lot of them that, I think it was like 10% of the students admitted that they do that, which probably means that's, it's actually like, I believe that probably a lot more do. I think there's a lot more than some people Oh, for sure. I mean, you think think if you're like going to school to become a lawyer or a doctor, you're going to admit to, you know, yes, I also abuse my prescription medications. I do more Adderall than I should. I use my friend's Adderall. I use um, uh, people's Vicodin that doesn't Mm -hmm. belong to me. You think people are going to say that stuff? No, I don't. I believe that a lot more people Mm -hmm. are using prescription medication or or just drugs in general. We have uh, Daniel G. Garza. We have Daniel G. Garza in the audience here, too. Daniel was actually on the Daniel, uh, panel Daniel at the G. UCI event last year. So shout out yeah, to Daniel. So. <laughs> well, let's pivot into today's topic. Uh, that's that's awesome. And hey, Tom, Tom just tuned in here, joining from Dallas. Shout out to Dallas. Shout out to Tom. Uh, everyone else that's watching and listening, by the way, um, <clears throat> today our topic is about keeping your own recovery separate from working in the field of recovery and why it's so important to actually differentiate between the two and not have them overlap. So Pej, I'm going to let you jump in here, but quick shout out. If you're not following Pej on Instagram, check out his Instagram page right now. It's amazing. He's posting some hard hitting stuff on there about recovery tips. He's going live. He's doing stories. He's sharing everything. Check him out on Instagram. It's drug underscore intervention. Drug underscore intervention. Check them out on Instagram. Okay, Pej, why do you want to talk about Well, this? you know, I've worked in the field of addiction for almost all of my sobriety. I'm 12 years sober. I've, I've been on the front lines. I've um, sat in countless groups, done group interaction, done group facilitation, um, been a co-facilitator, been a main facilitator. I have worked in detoxes. I have worked in... You know, when I was newly sober, obviously, like I had 
I, I suddenly have this calling that I want to help people, right? Like I thought, I looked at my counselor in rehab and I thought like, mm. I like this guy. Like I like that he used to be, a, he went from being a bank robber to like, now he's dedicated his life to saving lives, you know? He was also a hardcore heroin addict that had um, struggled mm -hmm. and, and not been able to stay sober. I think he had like 19 uh, overdoses until he finally got it on the 20th one where he got sober and he stayed sober. But, but like, I, I just, I would always like, you know, I was curious individual in early recovery and I'd see the way that he would conduct himself and the professionals that were around him. And I started to think like, I have a calling. I want to help people, but how do you do that? I need I want to work in recovery. And so like I would, first I was just like a volunteer and I would go to the same place I got sober at and sit in groups and things like that. But what was happening is that often I would sit um, and see other clients acting a certain way. And then I would kind of become like harsh or, or volatile or, or I would go at them in a roundabout way. I was uh, condescending often. I was, uh, I would be patronizing. I would ask a lot of questions um, in a roundabout way rather than just directly saying what I felt. And sometimes I would go right at them and right at their throat and not have any mercy. And I would just tear people to shreds. And one day my counselor said, you know, I like the way you interact in the group and you have a lot of good substance to bring to the group. And, and, and you call people out, and that's fine and dandy, but I, I really encourage you to go to school. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, um, you should go to college. You should go to Saddleback College and do some drug, drug and alcohol studies and learn how to have you know, empathy, learn about group interaction, how to facilitate, how to co-facilitate, how to really you know, get involved with the clients, um, possibly become a case manager and work with people. And I said, okay, I'll listen to you. At first, I didn't want to go to school because I wasn't very mm. scholastic. But then I ended up going to school on his recommendation. I started to learn a lot of things. Like, for one, I didn't really know what empathy meant. Um, I never practiced it, never had it. I may have had it in, without knowing it for, you know, certain people or certain things. Like, but, um, but when it came to, like, being in a treatment setting, I was just all about, like, going at people and letting them know, like, what I thought about them. And, and I, if, the, if I thought they were being full of shit, I'd tell them how full of shit they were because I had a counselor that would say that. He'd say like you're so. He'd say to all of us in a group setting. He'd say you're so inauthentic. You're 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 inauthentic oh, about your own it? inauthenticity. And yeah. I was like, wow, can you break that down wow. and like and simplify it? He goes, yeah, sure. You're so full of shit. You're full of shit about being full of shit. So I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I, he'd say that to other clients, and I think he better never say that to me because I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna walk a straight line. And I'm gonna be a good guy. So regardless then once i started getting like a job in treatment i got a job in an adolescent facility and i remember there was basically a bunch of little mini peasants working around but, but that were like my, my clients right there were 14 to 16 to 17 year old kids that were new in recovery and they had never you know some of them some of them had already been in recovery a couple of times some of them had never have and and what i had noticed was <clears throat> when they were out of line or they wouldn't make their beds or like we'd go to meetings and they weren't supposed to be smoking cigarettes, but they try to sneak around the building to go smoke. I'd go and catch them and I'd go off on them. Right. And I'd talk to them a certain way or, or, or then they would challenge me or they would test me. And of course I got pulled into the office the next day by the manager and the manager would say to me, um, he would say, uh, you know, Pej, um, you do a really good job here, but unfortunately I just want to warn you that you can't have power struggles with the clients. And I, you know, I never really heard the term power struggle. Mm. Right? And now he's saying it to me. And, and so obviously I put two and two together and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm trying to overwork my power with these kids and I'm struggling because they're not hearing me or, or they choose not to hear me or they, they, they've probably ran circles around their parents all their lives. So now they want to do it with me. So 
I came to terms mm. with, I, I was, it was so, I was confronted with the fact that these people are sick. They're adolescents. They've already experimented with drugs. Some of them are snorting oxys, right? Like oxycodone. So, so what do I expect? Do I expect these kids to just come in well-behaved? Obviously, they were probably kids that were set on the wrong path in the very beginning at a very young age. And for me to sit there and expect them to bend over backwards for me and do whatever I need them to do is senseless and, and pointless. Like, I need, to, I need to meet people where they're at, right? Instead of me having to constantly uh, enforce my rules upon them and expect them to follow them. So that happened like in that type of setting. But down the line later on, when I started working in other, in adult treatment with, you know, adults, a lot of adults that act like adolescents that, you know, I, I remember being on the front lines and working alongside other people in recovery that, um, I remember, well, let me back up real quick. Before I was going to start working in recovery, I was in this 12 step community and I happened to, you know, announce to a few people, Hey, I got a job in treatment. I'm stoked. I'm going to go work in treatment. Like you guys should all be really happy for me. And one guy came up to me after and he goes, that's really cool. It's fine and dandy that you're going to go work in treatment, but I want you to know something. You better keep your recovery job separate of your personal recovery. And I said to him, well, what, what is that even supposed to mean? Mm -hmm. he goes, means like if you go to meetings with your clients, doesn't mean that those are your own personal meetings. And also when you go to meetings with those clients, you shouldn't be sharing in those meetings because, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, that's not your own personal time. That's the time for the client. And don't think just because <clears throat> because you're hitting meetings with your clients that you should stop hitting meetings at all, right? Because that's not your recovery. And on top of that, um, I had one guy that told me when it comes to, like, being a recovered alcoholic or addict, if you're recovered and you're spiritually fit, then, then you have something that you can transmit. And then you can work with these people in recovery. But if you take all of your personal and interpersonal problems that you've had all throughout your life into that type of setting, your sickness will suddenly, it'll, you know, it'll affect these other people's sickness and, and it'll, it'll bring something out of them or it'll make you angry. It'll put you on edge. Somebody else had um, talked about the word burnout. Like they said, if, when you work in treatment, if you're not really all together and you try to go and work with people in that type of setting, it can be challenging. It can be trying. Uh, you may be overworked a lot will come out of you and you will experience burnout. And of course, like my ego told me, oh no, no, no. Yeah. I, I would never burn out. Like I have a lot of energy. I'm in my early, I'm in my mid thirties. Like I'm gonna go work in treatment and I'm gonna uh, kick ass and take names. And then sure enough, I went, I started working in treatment and, and I became a case manager and I was working on the front lines and it had taken so much out of me, Austin, to the point where I had nothing left for the groups. Like there was no substance for me to bring to the groups. And, mm -hmm. and I would remember like I would, it was like yeah. starting to drain me and it was starting to like affect me. And, and then often I would be short tempered. And if I like had, like I wouldn't sleep enough or I had tons of documentation to take care of, I, you know, between the documentation, having to get it all done in a timely manner, uh, having a large caseload and trying to work with all these different people, I was starting to lose my shit and fall apart. So I was like, you know what? I need to take it easy. I was going to reflexology twice a week just to be able to get those like mad massages from head to toe. Just because I was always like sitting yeah. at the computer and, and trying to bring whatever I did. And, and so the reason that I thought of this topic is, you know, I uh, obviously I still work in treatment. and I've worked in treatment over the years. But you know what I've witnessed is that there are people who just as excited as I was to work in treatment, they become excited too. They start working in treatment and they put them... Um, 
in certain areas of the treatment set for on the front lines, like in detox, right? So let's say, for example, you got a guy that's got barely a year of sobriety, whose drug of choice was opiates, right? And for a long time, he probably struggled. This is just an example, but he probably struggled and would often have to go on Suboxone to try to quit on his own, but he couldn't. And then finally he quit. He went to treatment. He got sober. Now he's working in treatment and he's sitting in the med office and he's doing an intake and he's got access to the other client's medications. Well, what could happen? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what could happen? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of unfortunate stories of people <laughs> who work in the field of recovery uh, relapsing. Uh, and do you think it's because of elements like this and the the sheer pressure of, of the job and um, hitting those, those burnout, burnout points? I think burnout definitely part of it. I think a lot of people are not recovered. I think that there's a lot of people that are untreated that have not yet done the deep-rooted work that is necessary in recovery in order for you to be a whole human being and be able to offer other sick people in recovery um, treatment. You know, there's something that I've heard in treatment many times is it, with amongst people that work in treatment is what's wrong with that person? Like, why is that guy got to be like that? Like, I can't wait till we get him out of here. Or maybe he doesn't belong here. Things like that. And I think to myself, we have forgotten where we're working and who our population is. These are less fortunate people that have had major addiction problems and sometimes mental health, and sometimes it's just coupled together, where it's a co-occurring disorder, it's, you know, dual diagnosis, which many, many people that go to treatment these days are, mm -hmm. you know, diagnosed with more than, they're not just polysubstance abusers or a certain type of substance abusers, but they've got mental health, they've got um, personality disorders, they've got bipolar, yeah. they've got uh, anxiety, they've got depression, they've got all these different things. And then on top of that, you take all of their drugs and alcohol away, how do you expect them to act? How do you expect them to act? Of course they're going to act out. Of course they're going to be needy. Of course they're going to call you names to your face. And so when you're working in that all day, every day, and you think, okay, well, I've, I'm working these strenuous hours. I'm even getting some overtime because the money's good, but like they need me. And, and don't you know, I'm here to serve and, and to help these people. But over a period of time, what happens? Oh, well, you know what? I'm too tired to go meet up with my support system. I'm too tired to go and be amongst my other sober friends. I'm too tired to go to my meetings. Next thing you know, the dude stops going to meetings because he's overworked and he's working every single day, but he's forgot where he came from. So his recovery job mm -hmm. becomes his recovery or lack mm -hmm. thereof. Do you think, uh, it, how common is this? Do you think a lot of people that work in the field of recovery and are in recovery themselves treat their time at work and time with their clients as a part of their own recovery? I don't I think, think it's common. common. It's very common. Very common. Really? I could tell you stories for days. Mm. It's very common. I have mm. literally um, worked alongside people who you think, at least when I met them at first, you think they're doing really good they present to be doing really well. They do their job very well. And then all of a sudden, just like you see a person that's in recovery that's progressing and then they digress, you see this person that you're working alongside in treatment doing so well and then not doing so well. 
starts calling, they start calling in sick mm. a lot, or they come to work with sunken eyes, or they start behaving or misbehaving. Mm. They, and it doesn't just come with, you know, it comes with many, in many different forms, shapes. I mean, where people will um, do, act and behave in a, in a treatment setting uh, or just in a professional environment, very unprofessionally, saying things that are very unprofessional, mm -hmm. um, you know, mixing, not, not really, they've not really done the work enough to where they're just not appropriate to be working amongst people that um, are very sick. They, or even along their own colleagues, saying certain things that, you know, are just out of line. They're not necessary. They're things that you know, are, are offensible, you know, offensive, yeah. like it could be taken into offense and definitely um, will yeah. put them in a, you know, get written up. Like that's what happens a lot, you know, and, I, and that's happened in every single, yeah. every single center Daniel, I've worked in. Um, gotcha. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, Daniel says here uh, he had a house manager at the rehab um, that relapsed mm -hmm. while working at the house, uh, and Daniel took note. He's very that. right. Yeah, I mean, even very unfortunate. He's very right. Like happens, even with sober livings, a lot of times um, you have sober living managers that there's many perks. There's many perks mm. to being a sober living manager, but there's also a lot of downfalls. For one, you have somebody that's somewhat new in recovery yeah. you know it's usually required that they have a year or two of sobriety and that they're solid and that they're working their own program right that's what's asked of people <clears throat> they come into um a sober living home well what kind of people do you have that are in sober living there's people that are straight out of treatment there's some people that are straight out of detox that couldn't afford to go to treatment but they need to be living in a sober environment so you have a whole slew of sick people again some of them if depending on the sober living are required, if not all of them, to be working on themselves. But some just, you know, their own defects of character are going to come out. And you're the sober living manager. And just because you have free rent or you get a food card or you're getting paid to be a sober living, you're not getting paid, regardless of the fact um, mm -hmm. now your disease, which is still manifesting because you haven't really done the work, uh, will suddenly get into a position where mm, old ideas may come back or frustrations may may occur or you know your own personal life might start to consume you and now you're in in an environment where you're not really being monitored but um suddenly your sickness and other people's sickness is all kind of just in mesh and before you know it boom you're loaded and it happens a lot a lot a lot more than you think mm -hmm. i have maybe uh i don't know controversial question or not but uh, i just want to get your opinion um do you what's your opinions on people in recovery actually working in the field of recovery uh i know that's you know the, the path that you cho chose uh and a lot of other people chose as well uh do you recommend people enter uh into the field of absolutely recovery, absolutely uh, or not or... you have to understand something there should be more people working in recovery that are in recovery. That's a given. There should also be people that are not in recovery, working in recovery that are, as some of us would call it, normies. Okay? Um, mm -hmm. Clients will sometimes be drawn to uh, people that are in recovery. Sometimes they won't because those people know them all too good, right? Mm. Clients also need professionals that aren't in recovery too to work with because you know, they may have a different outlook towards getting the help that they need. 
I believe um, the best people that work in recovery are people that are truly recovered from their own seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. People that have mm -hmm. done the work, people that have learned about themselves and are comfortable with themselves and have an open heart and an open mind and accepting of people that they're going to be working with. In other words, everybody, if you're working in treatment, if you're not at peace in your own heart and you're still, you have strong opinions about people and you just view people a certain way, like you have, you're judgmental, you're not accepting, you're not understanding, you shouldn't be working in treatment. You just shouldn't be working in treatment because you have to be, the compassion has to be there. If you don't have compassion in your heart, you probably don't have compassion for yourself in your heart. Therefore, if you're working in treatment, I hope that you've done the work. If you've done the work, we need you. We definitely need more people to be working in treatment that have really done the soul searching, the, the deep rooted, like just uprooted the deep, the deep issues that you've had. Um, there's transference, there's counter transference. These are things that if you actually go and do drug and alcohol studies, or you want to get some letters behind your name and become a therapist, you'll learn about these things. You know, there's duality. There's, you know, there's people that, that work in treatment and end up dating their clients. That's a huge no-no. That is a huge no-no. Like, you don't do that, yeah. man. So yeah. You have to think about a person that starts, like, developing a relationship with somebody that's new in treatment. When you do something like that, um, you have to really think like that. How sick is the person that's acting that way and going after somebody who's, like, in the very beginning of their recovery process? Right. You not only – and how selfish. Like, you're – you're basically yeah. getting in the way of that person doing the work on themselves. And it happens a lot too, a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I don't want to digress here too much, but we've gone into uh, really not even dating on in the first year of your sobriety, your recovery. Well, that's controversial, that's controversial but I believe too. that with this, this is a whole other animal. Like when we're talking about like working in recovery, you don't date your clients. Yeah. Like I and some people, right? I understand some sure, people will yeah. date each other true, and are working true. in recovery together. Some places that's allowed, and some places that's not allowed. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the whole dating in the first year, like amongst people in just regular recovery that aren't working in treatment, that's controversial. <laughs> uh, it's the path that he's on and working in recovery. He's working on his Rad T1 right now. Congrats, Tom. That's amazing. Uh, shout out to everyone else that's trying to uh, work in the field of recovery as well. It's amazing. Pej, uh, we covered a lot of really good stuff here. Uh, what else do you want to touch upon here? Well, I think we've pretty much talked about what we needed to today. I, I appreciate everybody that's tuned in. Um, I, you know, If you have any more questions, go ahead and ask them. If not, let's move on to what we usually talk about, you know, what we talk about, the website and such. Yeah. <laughs> well, sounds great. Uh, I got all of my questions answered today. I hope all of our uh, watchers and listeners got their questions answered as well. Uh, if there is something that we didn't answer or you have a specific question, you can always reach out to us uh, online. You can uh, join our Facebook group, which is called Sober Grind. Uh, you can just type it in or you can find it in the description of wherever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, if you'd like to join us live and, and questions and share your feedback every Thursday at 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. Eastern Time 
in the Facebook group, Sober Grind. Join the group, uh, and you can ask us any questions you have in there. Uh, if you uh, need help with recovery, whether it's for yourself or someone you know, you can always reach out to us. You can reach out to Pej at beginningstreatment.com or myself, Austin, at beginningstreatment.com. You can call Beginnings 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, to just get answers, to get help, to get hope. Uh, call them at 800-387-6907. Also, you can check out every single past episode that we've ever done of Sober Grind on our brand spanking new website, SoberGrind.com. Uh, it's a beautiful looking website, I must say. Uh, it's been a lot of fun building it, and yeah, we're continuing to, to grow it. And we want it to just be the we want it to be we want it to be the the best uh, and most helpful recovery resource for you possible. Uh, if you'd like to ever come on here and share your recovery story as well, uh, visit the website, fill out the form. Um, uh, and we will get back to you and we'll schedule that as well. Pej, any other final thoughts? All right, my friends. Be well. See you next week for another episode of Silver Grind. Silver Grind out, my friends.